0: Hello everybody, welcome to Kafaru Cast. I'm running solo on the uh, mic today because uh, this is all about traditional archery and uh, Frank wanted no part of it. So <laughs> I've got uh, two, uh, we always say special guests, but these guys are truly special guests. Um, I've just gotten to know them real well here in the last few months, but have, have heard about uh, the bows they offer for a long, long time, as well as kind of the history and the company. And that's uh, Robert and JJ with Bob Lee Bows. I appreciate you guys coming on
1: how are you you hey, anytime Aaron
0: so um, just for uh, one thing I found out it, uh, like immediately when I started talking about Bob Lee was uh, you guys have a loyal loyal following I got a pile of messages um, in when when uh, Jake Downs who's a, a huge Bob Lee fan Jake and I did kind of a bow review and, and actually Jake took my Bob Lee from me um, when, when we when we did that bow review, which you guys are nice enough to make me another one, but um, I had a ton of of feedback come back from uh, for, about you guys, uh, just not only just the bows, but what great customer service and, and people you are, and that's gone on. Well, Robert, your dad started the company, is that right?
2: Hi, hey Aaron. It's Rob. Rob, sorry, uh, it's actually Robert, but I go by Rob, and Dad goes by Bob. It was a little co- less confusing. Especially
0: at supper time. Gotcha. So only like if you're in trouble, if I'm mad at you, call you Robert. Other than that, call you Rob?
2: Well, I may not even answer. It. It's been so long <laughs> since somebody called me Robert.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, I got you saved under my phone as Rob. But uh, but your your dad, Bob Lee, started it. And then, JJ, you are uh, Rob's son-in-law? I'm,
1: Rob, I'm Rob's stepson.
0: Stepson. And that's you two kind of just running everything now at the at the uh, world headquarters of Bob Lee
1: yeah if that's what you want to call it you can definitely call it the world headquarters It's the only place on planet Earth where you can buy one I'm pretty sure right
0: Well that's uh, world Hound headquarters sounds fancier and since it's the only one it is technically the world headquarters. So You're I, absolutely <laughs> right about that. <laughs> yeah. So why don't um, you guys go in kind of the the history of, uh, you know, the company. I, I, I think you guys have been around since 53. Is that correct?
2: 1951, 1951. My dad started it. Uh, he was 23 years old. So uh, he's been building a bow for a long time.
0: And, and, it, and from what I understand, I have friends here that were friends with him. He never touched a compound ever is that right
2: that's correct he never did really accept a compound i don't have the same same feelings about a compound that that dad does uh i like them because it brings people into the sport that probably never would try it and uh after a period of time i mean a lot of guys want more challenge and that's when they come see us
0: gotcha yeah and and i um that definitely was what happened with me. Um, you, you guys. It was it wing archery at one time. Is that what he initially started? Was that what it was called?
2: Yeah, that was his company uh, back in the fifties and sixties and into the seventies.
0: Gotcha. And then, and then, co- what kind of, you know, transpired from there? Because he did he get out of it for a while, and then you started it back up, or what? What happened there?
2: The uh, the timeline, Dad. Uh, sold wing archery to Ski Company in 1968. And Key, uh ran into financial difficulties and was bought by AMF in 1972. And at that point, Dad was still running the company. And uh, when AMF took over, he retired. He just never did g-haul with them. It was too big of a, a corporate setting. Uh, you know, he wasn't allowed to make the decisions uh, timely like he was used to, and he just said, you all can have it. And then we uh, we went back into business in 1989. Uh, for a period of time, uh, you're probably not old enough to remember it, but when the compound really took off, uh, you couldn't hardly give a traditional bow away. You know, everybody went to the compound. And uh, in the late 80s, there was uh, quite a bit of interest in it again. And, and I finally talked that into uh, going back into it because I wanted to learn how to build them.
0: And how old were you? Well, and let's just get that, throw that out. Let's go over the, the age demographic here. Uh, Rob, how old are you? I'm 65. You're looking pretty good for 65. I didn't think you were that old. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I am.
0: And then JJ, how old are you?
1: Man, he's got me beat by a long shot. I'm
0: only 36. Gotcha, and I'm in the middle. So, okay, and and you're right. I have heard so many stories about different, uh, you know, recurve um, or boat, custom bow makers, recurve makers, traditional archery companies that kind of went under when the compound started and everything went to, you know, a wheel bow, and then that went on for I guess, 10, 15 years and it kind of slowed down. And then, you know, recurves came back into the swing of things a little bit. And, and I'm happy to see it's happening again now where they're getting a lot more, a lot more love than they, than they used to, especially coming. I was kind of an anti stick bow guy for such a long time. Now I can't tell people enough about it. So it's kind of good to see your history. Cause I guess you probably got as much or more history than Almost anyone else in traditional archery, Uh, I guess Bear would be one, but you're probably right there with him, I would think, wouldn't you be?
2: Yeah. Uh, When Dad sold, uh, he was the third largest company uh, producing recurves. At that point, uh, heck, they were building 300 bows a day, running 24 hours a day. He was the biggest employer here in Jacksonville at that time had like 55, 60 employees, and uh, pretty amazing stuff. I mean, I look back at some of the the films that we have from the Wing days, and I grew up uh, working summers and whatnot at Wing. So, I mean, I have a, a good memory of that, but when you look back at, at what they were doing at that time in history, is amazing. I mean, how they could produce that many bows, uh Mind boggling to me. I,
0: I tell you what, knowing uh Texans and the history in that time, uh oh, I, mean, I guess that that uh oh, whatever generation, he worked the dog shit out of you, didn't he?
2: Pretty much, <laughs> yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think I ever got over it. Uh, I still, uh, I have an office here at the shop, but I'm I'm never in it. I mean. JJ spends his days in in the shop and manufacturing, and I do too. I mean, we all wear a bunch of different hats, and at the end of the day, hopefully, uh, we we have some bows that are ready to go into finish.
0: Man, on the on the bow side of thing, not to get away from from history, one of the and, and you guys know my very brief history into traditional archery. Um, the one of the first things that popped up when I was looking, and I didn't take. Um, you know uh, a a real real in depth look um, in 2016, but I read a lot about it. You guys won uh, a few different awards, but you were I guess voted the best traditionally or best recurve bow uh, in a couple different classes a few years ago, and you also had that stable lock system, which to me the and I don't know if I mean it's I think it's stable lock it's it's basically where the limbs slide and it's a modified. I, I guess what I would call it is a hunter-friendly um, ILF system because it's, it's beefy as hell. Um, where'd that come from, and, and was that something you guys kind of pioneered or just perfected, or what happened with that stable lock system as well as the awards you guys won? What went on with
2: that? That's, uh, uh, the stable lock is actually a, a wing knockoff. I mean, my dad, when, when he had wing archery, they had a, a foundry, here in Jacksonville, and they poured their own magnesium handles. And they came up with that wedge assembly uh, because of the, the strength of the, the metal handle. And it was very popular back then, but we never attempted to do it because I'm not a real fan of a metal handle. Uh, but when we started pr- producing so many bows out of the micarta, uh, the phenolic handles, it dawned on me actually one night in bed that uh, that my carta is is basically as strong as steel, and and we could uh, revisit the the wedge system, and we did, and it's been very very popular for us. We did tweak the design of the wedge; it's not the same as it was uh, back in the wing days, but the makeup is the same.
0: Now, what what I've kind of explained to guys that have asked me. Um now, this is coming from a total hunter's perspective. Um, there is zero wrong. There's nothing wrong with a bolt-on limb. What the, uh, the, the stable lock or what you call the wedge system, but the stable lock system does for me, and, 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 which is huge. When you travel a lot, there is a couple vital pieces to the bow, one being a string and the other being the limb bolt. And if you don't have the limb bolt, you're pretty much might as well grab the guide's gun or your buddy's bow. Cause and believe it or not, I know many people when they've taken those things apart in their garage to pack them have forgot, um, the limb bolt and <laughs> you can't just, that's not something you can generally grab at the local hardware store and get it right. What that stable lock system does is make sure one, you're not going to forget anything, but two, it is so precise and so easy to snap back together and you need no tools. It's huge for me because like on this mountain goat hunt I'm going on, it's so brushy. Uh, you got to pack your bow and your pack, hike in and then put it together. And it literally just snaps, snap, make sure it's seated and string it. And so I can see why, um, you know, that it's a huge, um, I, I guess, a bonus for a lot of different traditional archers. The other thing I was surprised was it's quiet. Um, I've had some issues with ILF systems that are noisy. Um, I've shot, I guess, five different bows of yours now. That Stabilox system is extremely quiet. In fact, Jake's bow is the quietest bow I've ever heard. Um, It's pretty amazing.
2: Well, it's, uh, I mean, you hit almost all of the points. Uh, Alignment is there. Uh, The ease of uh, assembling your bow, you don't have to worry about having an Allen wrench. But it also... I mean, it's minute, but it is a performance enhancer, and the only, the only reason that I think that is true is because of the, the weight that's in the wedge itself that's on your limb. So it's almost like having uh, too many stabilizers, top and bottom, on the handle. The bow is just extremely dead in your hand when you shoot it. I, I can't say enough about it myself, and I've shot a lot of bows.
0: Yeah, I, I was pretty amazed by it when Jake and I were shooting. I think we had six bows or five bows we were shooting at the same time. And and, and again, what well, you guys saw, you were, we, we, we liked, um, you know, two different ones. And uh, by default, uh, Jake stole mine, but it it literally, um, you know, 40 yards for me is my point on. And, uh, you know, setting it up with, once the string was stretched in, you know, I was keeping well with inside of a paper plate. Um, it's not the fastest bow, but I would say you're in the upper, you know, scale of one to 10, one being a dog and 10 being a speed demon. You're probably a seven in speed. Um, from what I've noticed, like you're not going to be as, as fast as a super, which I'm not a fan of super, super curls, but you're right behind speed on the super curls from what I've seen. Is that kind of what you guys have found as well?
2: Yeah, it's, uh, we could build a faster bow, Aaron, there's no doubt.
0: Yeah, don't, don't do that.
2: Uh, but you're gonna, gi- you're gonna give up the consistency of weight gain, uh, during the draw cycle. And you, like on our recurves, you can scale them. Um, they pick up a very consistent poundage per inch as you come back. And you really don't run into a wall back there. I'll give up a few feet per second to have a bow that's uh, very smooth and stable.
0: I'm in agreement with you and I can't stretch that, stress that enough to guys. And, and what, 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 generally what you're talking about so people understand is when you hear the word stack, you know, the limbs stack. And if you haven't shot a lot of bows, your bow may stack and you may have no idea uh, that it's doing it. But, but basically once you're getting back there, the limb is building up more pressure as you're coming uh, when you're going to uh, closer and closer to full draw to where it's harder to hold back and it's not a smooth draw cycle or smooth smooth draw curve Um, you guys didn't have any stacking at all um, you know with with any of the bows I shot of yours the other thing that um, you talk about dead in the hand I cannot say from uh, your bow I've only shot your uh, bows made of micarta or phenolic or whatever they are, the, the synthetic risered bows. Uh, they are dead in the hand. There is no shock whatsoever. And I'm assuming your sales have kind of reflected that catering more towards those type of risers.
2: That's correct. I mean, we build uh, wooden riser bows, uh, but we sell more of the, the ones that are at least half uh, micarta. Uh, and it's, it's, it's all about the mass weight. Uh, strength comes into play. I mean, nobody, uh, wants a bow that, that's not gonna, uh, be durable for years. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sold on it. Uh, I think a wooden bow is beautiful. Uh, I don't like a real featherweight bow because I have a tendency to move around when I'm at full draw on target, whether it's 3D or, or animals. So, you know, but there are people out there that that don't like mass weight, and we do produce bows that are lighter in the hand.
0: Right. And and I'm definitely – well, you and I have talked quite a bit. I definitely – mirror what you like i like a little bit heavier bow generally uh for me the bow seems to be quieter it's dead it dead in the hand and uh stability wise as far as aiming on target no different than a a compound there's a reason they have all that crap hanging off in tournaments may not be the most user friendly for hunting but a little extra mass weight does make you more stable uh or it certainly does me now when you guys, when we were talking about speed earlier, so people kind of understand what I've found with with your bows in that 28 to 29-inch draw, which I've found to be kind of most common, um, and you're shooting 10 grains per pound, you're generally in the high 170s to low 180s at a 28, 28-and-a-half-inch draw at 10 grains per pound, and a little bit obviously better than that uh, once you get into a little bit longer uh, draw force curve, and so for me, I was shooting a five hundred, a fifty-eight uh, pound bow at twenty-nine and a quarter draw length with a five hundred eighty-six grain arrow, and I was getting one hundred and eighty-eight feet per second. I've seen a lot of people talk about speeds, and I, and quite honestly, I have not found that magical bow that people talk about with these crazy speeds. they're not they don't exist even the super curls if you're at 10 grains per pound that super curl may be 8 to 10 feet per second faster But what you're giving up and accuracy, forgiveness and stability in the limb is not worth it to me, especially with the crazy stuff that I do on hunts and in the cliffs and going in and out of rafts and, and trucks and airplanes and helicopters and backpacking strapping your bow. The stability of that limb to me is extremely important. And when you're at full draw with your bow, I've had guys, just to show the stability, twist the limb, which I'm not suggesting for anyone to do this. Obviously, I knew what I was doing. When you draw some of those super curls back, you can twist the limb in a circle. I do not feel comfortable with that where your limb is extremely solid. Um, And so for that little bit of extra speed game, maybe I'm just a weenie. It is not worth it to me. I want that smooth draw cycle, good speed, good forgiveness, but also stability.
2: I agree with that 100%. I mean, uh, the speed and the air weights and all. Uh, JJ visits with way more of our customers than I do. Uh, Most of the time when you call here, he answers the phone. So... You know, he's probably more knowledgeable on uh, what shafts most of the guys are shooting. But speed has never been that big a issue to me. A deer doesn't care whether he got shot with a bow that's shooting 160 feet per second or one that's shooting 200 feet per second. Uh, but but how quiet it is and how stable it is 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 uh, what I'm interested in.
0: JJ, your mouth breathing into that mic. Um... <laughs> You sound like Darth Vader. The uh, one thing—I
1: <laughs> hey, don't think it's me. It's somebody else, man. I heard it too.
0: <laughs> oh, maybe it's Rob. Maybe it's me, I'm, I'm making Vader. making fun of myself. The uh, when you're talking about that, a hundred percent correct. You cannot compete with the speed of sound, and this goes along the line with compounds too i in my younger days was stuck on speed and then i hit a couple animals with subpar shots arrow basically stopped screaming fast bow light arrow this with a compound and uh went into that heavier arrow quieter bow kind of um mentality and then i went into the the recurve and i was you know for being a pretty proficient and successful compound hunter I was like, how the hell are all these compound guys not blowing through animals when I'm blowing through them now with 178 to 185 foot per second, you know, lobbing logs, zipping through animals with a cut on contact head. But not only that, when I missed, they didn't move. They kind of might jump a little and look around and I'd shoot them on the second arrow because they're so quiet. So it really didn't matter how fast the arrow was. Obviously, within reason, if you get free speed, I mean, if when I say free speed, meaning, um, you know, you shoot a bow that you shoot well and it's magically six feet faster than your old bow, then yay, great. But that's an ancillary benefit. The big thing is your bow is quiet and it's shootable because, um, you know, as they say, you know, I'd rather have a slow 10 than a fast five. That's no shit. I mean, people need to listen to that and learn from it. If you're shooting a loud bow that you can't hit anything with, it does you no good. Where you're shooting a quiet bow that you can actually hit something with. I mean, the other thing is, too, if you don't hit it, um, Tom Klum told me many times, you'll shoot many animals on your second arrow. And he was right. With compound, you don't get that. You miss. They're gone. With a stick, they might jump for a second and look around. And then I'm like, Wow. It's pretty amazing. This bow must be quiet. And uh, and again, not to toot your horns too much, that bow Jake's got, the one he stole from me, that is the quietest I have found. That thing is dead silent. It's pretty amazing.
1: Well, you know, the speed thing to me is it's not necessarily overrated, but there's, you know, a lot of guys, they, they're, they're so concerned with, with how fast their arrow is traveling that they've they rarely think about any kind of energy retention. And it's it's not about how fast your arrow gets to the target or the deer you're shooting at or whatever. It's about how much energy you have left over when it gets there. And some of these guys claiming to shoot, you know, 205, 212 feet per second, whatever it is, I mean, I'm always suspicious that they're shooting an arrow that's just a little bit too light um, because a heavier arrow... That's balanced properly and is, you know, being shot out of the bow it's supposed to be shot out of. That heavier arrow is going to retain more energy at a farther distance than that light arrow. You know, a super lightweight arrow traveling through the air is going to lose a little bit more energy at 20 yards than a much heavier arrow would. So there's a happy medium there, I think, for every guy to find, you know, what the magic arrow weight is to get, to give him as much punching power as he can get at 20 yards without sacrificing too much speed
0: we've beat that horse to death on my podcast with foc and arrow weight and and everything else and i've kind of found 580 560 to 580 585 is my happy point traveling at you know 180 feet per second um i can zip through any animal in north america without issue and and i've shot quite a few of them already and I've got I've got good speed not crazy speed but I've got good forgiveness the bow is super quiet and you're not damaging the bow that's the other thing you know you can only go so light before you start damaging that bow above and beyond the fact deer just scared shitless when they hear it um it's also not good for the bow but when you talk about um like arrow weights you know some guys get into that 8 900 grain arrow um other guys might be doing 480 to 500 i'm talking about out of traditional bows um, I went up to 638, 640, 645 this year, screwing around. I shot several animals at that weight. I didn't notice a massive difference between 580, 575. And I'm more comfortable at 575 just because of the arc of the arrow, what I'm comfortable with as far as that specific speed. What do you guys usually suggest for, let's just say whitetails um arrow weight wise and everything else do you guys have kind of a happy comfort number that you suggest to people
1: boy for me it it really kind of goes from guy to guy because some guys can only handle 44 or 45 pounds of draw weight and some guys like yourself can handle 58 59 60 pounds the guy that's shooting the 58 or 59 pound bow I will always recommend shooting a much heavier arrow um, because you're going to have plenty of force behind it. Uh, you're not trying to squeeze every little foot pound you can out of that draw weight. I mean, you're going to have plenty. So the heavier, you know, more hard-hitting arrow is going to be the way to go with that, and typically somewhere in that 10 to 11 grains per pound is, is where a guy wants to be. But for the guy that wants to shoot a deer with the 45-pound bow, I'm going to try to tell him to, to kind of stay away from the super-duper heavy arrow just because at 45 pounds, he's not going to be able to shoot that 550-grain or 540-grain arrow out to 20 yards the way he should because it's going to be a pretty good, pretty good bit slower than what he'd want it to be. So for the 45-pound guy, I try to chop it down to about nine to maybe nine and a half grains per pound um, because that's that's going to give you a little bit flatter trajectory up to 20 yards, whereas with a lot heavier shaft, you're going to drop a good bit out there. So it, it kind of goes guy to guy, but generally speaking, uh, you know, anywhere from, say, 48 to 55 pounds, somewhere in that 10 grains per pound range is I think where guys need to be.
0: Gotcha. Now, are you guys uh, just – curiosity nothing to do with bob lee bows are you guys single bevel double bevel two blade three blade what's your uh method to the madness what do you guys like for broadheads or or do you have a favorite
1: well i think we're kind of both maybe scared to try new things from time to time (laughs) time because we've both been shooting the same head for i don't know how many years which is basically just the two blade Magnus stinger i mean it, it it flies real well for us um you know i can't i can't attribute ever having lost an animal or not putting my hands on it to a crummy broadhead or anything like that but rob lee you're the you're the broadhead dude i mean you get well i mean i'm i'm shooting a,
2: a magnet stinger but i guess the biggest reason for me is uh, we are covered up with hogs pigs here in east texas and i i hunt them year round and uh, most of, a lot of times when you shoot a, a hog uh, you may not find that error again so I have a problem shooting a really expensive head but I mean I've, I've killed a lot of whitetail with it uh, to me they're a really good head I know that there's higher quality probably better heads out there
1: uh, you know the biggest thing for me Aaron when it comes to a broadhead is, is how does that broadhead fly compared to my field points um, if if you get a broadhead that's going to fly just like your field points and you're not wiggling and wobbling all over the place, chances are that if, if you've got a decent broadhead on the end of your era and you put the era where you want it in the moment of truth, you're probably going to have great success. Whereas if you go out and you shoot your field points and everything's working great and you put that broadhead on there and it flies all crazy doesn't matter what kind of broadhead you got on there if your arrows are flying funky then you know you got work to do so for me it's whichever one flies the best that's probably what i'm going to stick with
0: one thing that that rob just brought up that we talked about a few minutes ago because when i say we frank and i in a different podcast um we get to try everything right yeah as you guys have probably found out like everything comes across our plate to test from you know, hundred nine, hundred and ten, twelve, eighteen dollar for three broadheads, all the way on down to. I've shot a few animals with uh, Zwicky deltas. We're about the probably the worst grind ever created on. You know, the twenty-four <laughs> degree on one side, eighteen on the other. Um, you know, you, and, and, and they're cheap. They're super cheap. Um, and when I mean cheap, they're like 18 bucks for three. But you got to put about nine hours of labor into a dozen of them to get them right. So or I do anyway. So, you know, the thing, though, that I've found is when you to me, if I'm going on a a, a doll sheep hunt or something, I can totally understand where a guy's going to put out maybe some extra coin into a, a, a broadhead that might give them a little more mental stability compared to. If, if I'm down south and, uh, or in Texas and I'm just on one of those hunts where they need to clear off 20 does off the property, you know, it's especially as a working man, you know, coming from a construction background, I'm probably not going to be apt to be flinging $38 a broadhead uh, heads at a doe. Not to say one life's different than another or hogs or whatever, but, I mean, I really don't want to shoot. I mean, you're looking at between the arrow and everything else, you're pushing 60 bucks f- per projectile. Uh, that's expensive for most guys, and I mean, it is <laughs> yeah, expensive.
2: Oh, it is, and that's that's what I mean. I mean, if I was if I was going on a hunt like some of the hunts that you are going on and have been on, uh, the cost of the broadhead wouldn't be an issue. But for what I do day to day around here, it is. I mean, I I just got to be honest about that.
0: Oh, it's true. And I, one of the reasons I haven't shot a stinger is they don't make a heavier one. Because um, I shot them out of a compound, had great luck with them. Um, you know, now kind of what I'm shooting, uh, Well, I say I'm shooting, I have... Cause just because I test, I have four five, six different broadheads in my quiver at one time for testing because I, I I got a good tune. They all hit in the same spot. I'm not lobbing them out there like, you know, compound farther distances. So not an issue just testing wise. And, you know, the, the uh, you know, aluminum ferrules, obviously those will bend a little bit easier, but, um, you know, you get a super sharp broadhead, whatever it is with an arrow flying, right? It kind of takes care of itself. There's not a lot of you know, issues. I mean, JJ, you said it best. I mean, if it's flying good and it goes in the pump house, you know, it really doesn't matter how much it cost. Uh, that's all you need it to do. And, and that's something I think you guys would probably run into tuning wise, helping guys tune That art of tuning and getting guys' bows to tune correctly, it's pretty amazing. You know, you're going to have a hell of a time getting an arrow to pass through an animal, especially if you hit it in the scapula, if it's hitting a, you know, at a 25-degree angle, hitting the animal, you know, arrow flight is is key. And, uh, And a lot of guys, that's something definitely guys need to work on and can't be mentioned enough. How much screwing around with tuning do you guys have to do with customers?
1: Boy, you know, really, every, man, I've pretty much... Every guy that, that orders a bow from us, he has the same questions. Uh, what's the brace height? What arrows do I need to be shooting out of it? And luckily, I've been here long enough now to where there's a you know a, a pretty short range uh, that I can give a guy. I can say, okay, look, your, your draw length is this, your draw weight is this. Um, you need to get this 500, 600, 400, and uh, go from there. But very rarely do we have guys call and, and have super in-depth tuning questions um, just because I try to get all that squared away right up front. You know, I don't want a guy to get a bow and break it open, put it apart, go out in his yard and shoot and his arrows, fly crazy. You know, I do my best to make sure that a guy's going to have something pretty close to what he needs right up front. So we don't have to deal with a whole lot of that.
2: That, uh, that brought up a good point that I want to mention real quick. Uh, he's talking about being able to tell somebody over the phone what type of error is going to fly good out of his 50-pound bow. But uh, the problem with some of that is uh, a customer might think that he has a 29-inch draw length when he really has a 27.5-inch draw length. So draw length and really knowing exactly what it is is very, very important when trying to uh, pick a bow for a customer and what errors are gonna fly right.
0: Yeah, and I I find that exact thing happen a lot answering questions and and especially when guys are overbowed and 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 I strongly suggest don't overbow yourself, but you get a guy who had when he got tested with a Samick Sage, you know, $150 shop bow that everybody screws around with. And he drew it back to 28 and a half, 29. And then he doesn't really know what he's doing. He orders a 65, 70 pound bow and he went from 28 and a half, 29 inch draw length to a solid 26 and three quarters. <laughs> And, and, yep. and then he's trying to tune what he thinks to be and he's calling arrow companies or bow companies and letting him know hey i got a 28 and a half inch draw 29 whatever well he's actually only he's drawn two two and a half three inches shorter which is a you know snap shooting or whatever um it is hard for any arrow or bow company to get that correct so i can't agree with you more um you got to have good data to give to these guys or they're not going to be able to help you out very much because they got bad data.
1: Exactly, yeah. You're right about that. And a lot of guys almost are, I'm not going to say scared, but it's almost like they're embarrassed if they tell you they have a 26-inch draw length. I mean, it doesn't matter what your draw length is. You can get a bow that's going to perform well for you at whatever your draw length is. But it's like some guys just they just insist that their draw length is 28 or 29 and you basically have to beat them over the head with a hammer and say no, your draw length is 26 inches. And some of them get their feelings hurt um, and I've never understood that. Uh, it's almost like they're not as, they think they're not as big and bad as they could be if their draw length isn't 28 inches, but that's pretty silly to me really.
2: Man, having a short draw length is a major plus. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, great it's a lot thing. easier to, to get arrows to fly uh, than it is with somebody with a
0: Thirty-one inch draw length. Oh yeah, that's without a doubt. It's kind of weird. I don't know. um, I mean, while we're talking about this, it seems bows perform the performance of a bow as well as meaning like the speed you generally gain from each inch. So you go from twenty-seven and a half to twenty-eight and a half, you may gain i don't know eight to ten feet per second that kind of falls off the deep end a bit and is not something that's really calculatable after 30 inches it seems like it kind of goes a little wonky after 30 inches um and it is very difficult to get a bow to tune not very it is more difficult to get a bow to tune like you were saying with a guy i've got a couple buddies with 32 inch draw length and it's a nightmare um it, it, it's doable. And it's certainly not anyone's fault. It's just a matter of that limb is opening up pretty freaking wide. Um, you know, a lot of guys will shoot that draw length with a 62 inch bow, which is short. Um, and it's just not something, you know, you get string pinch and things like that. And, and maybe you guys can kind of touch on that uh, while we're talking. What do you suggest for a guy Um, you know, let's say with a uh, length of bow for a guy that's 26, 27, 28, 29, what do you guys usually recommend for bow lengths?
2: Well, I think number one, it has to do with really what are they going to do with a bow? Is this a 3D bow or is this a bow that they want to hunt with? And if it's a hunting bow, obviously the the shorter you can get away with, the better is for maneuverability. But we definitely try to match the overall length of the bow to the shooter's draw length. So when And this is mainly on our recurve lineup, but if you're looking at side profile when the bow is being drawn and shot, you want that recurve portion of it to open up. You wanna, you wanna get the the speed that it was designed to give you. So if you've got a super short draw length and you're trying to shoot a 62 inch bow, you're not gonna work the limb. You need to be shooting a 56 or
1: 58 inch bow.
2: But JJ can touch on that, uh, if he wants to.
1: Well, I mean the, the Rob said it right. I mean, the if, if you're looking for a hunting bow, what you're trying to do is is you're trying to get as much pound for pound performance you can out of that bow, without sacrificing any accuracy. So a a, a guy that's five foot seven and has a 26 inch draw length, he's going to be able to shoot that shorter bow, 56 or 58, and still be very accurate with it and get good performance. Whereas if he shot a longer bow, he's not going to get the performance, but it would be just as accurate. A guy with a longer draw length, say 29, 30 inches, he could still shoot that shorter bow, but it's going to be very, very uncomfortable. Uh, it's going to be very, very touchy, like shooting a very uh, a pistol with a very short barrel on it. Um, so the guy with the longer draw length, he's going to need to shoot the longer bow because if if, if he goes with a bow that's just too short, It's going to be very, it's going to be so picky that at 25 yards, any little mistake he makes is going to be amplified. So if a guy calls and says, I've got a 30 inch draw length, um, I want to hunt with it, I want to kill stuff with it, I'm going to talk him into either a 62 or a 64 inch bow. And the 62 is going to be a tiny bit less forgiving, but a little bit faster than the 64. And the 64 is going to be a tiny bit slower and a tiny bit more forgiving. So I always ask him, hey, What's more important to you, you know, the arrow flying faster or the bow being a little more forgiving? And typically we figure that out between just me and him.
0: And so a guy calling in with, twenty, like me, 28 half 29, 62 inches is a good base platform to start with?
1: It is, absolutely, because it's like I said before, it, it, it doesn't matter how fast the arrow gets there if you can't put it where you want it. And putting it where you want it, in the recurve curve game is, is everything. Um, because it doesn't matter if you're shooting 250 feet per second, if you shoot that deer in the ass, guess what? You're probably not going to put your hands on him.
0: Yeah, no. And I've, I, I try to, which is why I brought this up. I, I understand the, the concept of I'm going to be in a ground blinder and tree stand and I want a little more maneuverability with the compound bow. There has been, uh, you know, technical advances that a shorter bow um performs a a bow of 32 inches axle to axle will perform of old the 36 or 7 inch bow with the stick bow it you know there's not that much as far as technology that that like a compound has and so what i'm getting at here is if you got a 29 inch draw and you're trying to shoot a 56 or 58 inch bow don't expect it to be super accurate it might be but i just stress to guys hey I shoot a 62-inch long bow. Personally, I got a 29-inch draw, just to hair over. I hunt in the mountains. I hunt a tree stand. I hunt in a ground blind. You get used to it. I'm all for forgiveness, so I I kind of stretch it a little bit. Um, meaning I could probably shoot a 60-inch bow, but I want the forgiveness. That's that's personal preference for me because I, I will take a shot a little bit farther than than some guys. A 35-yard shot is is something I will take in a mountain hunt with bedded. Well, if I was shooting 18 to 20 yards, probably a little bit different story. I might drop down to a 60 inch bow. I just don't need uh, the accuracy for that longer distances. And so I I try to to talk with guys about that. And it sounds like you guys are kind of about right on board, you know, with that.
1: Oh, yeah. Well,
2: one thing that comes into play on how short of a bow you could get away with, Aaron, is your shooting style. And I know that you shoot three under. So you trying to shoot a shorter bow than what you're uh, accustomed to shooting is going to be harder. I mean, with, with all three fingers under the shaft, you have a lot more air pinch than you would if you shot split finger. And I shoot three under myself. We all do. But uh, that's one key ingredient that we normally talk to a customer about is what is your shooting style.
0: Yeah. No, and I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot that is a big problem with the three under is a potential string pinch on a shorter, shorter bow. Um, Right. Now with you guys, I generally with guys three under, depending upon how the bow's tillered, I generally tell guys to start out at five eighths knock high and adjust it from there accordingly and more a little closer to maybe quarter to three inch knock high with split finger. Now that's just kind of what I've come up with screwing around. Is that about the same for the Bob Lees, or what do you guys suggest if a guy's shooting three under or split?
1: That's pretty close, man. That's pretty close. I pretty much tell all my guys to start at a half inch, um, whether they're shooting split finger or three under. And, you know, the three under guy, I'll tell him straight up, you'll, you'll probably have to go up another eighth of an inch, maybe even a quarter inch, depending on how fat your fingers are. Um, and i tell all the split finger guys, you might have to go down an eighth of an inch. Um, but really to kind of just keep it the same for everybody, um, I just tell all of them, Hey, start at a half inch. Um, you know, if you're getting any porpoising, go up with it a little bit, and if you're a split finger guy, if you get any porpoise, you might have to go both ways to find which one works. But with the bows we send out, I tie an adjustable knock on every string, um, so it should be very easy for them to figure out, you know, within the first 12 or 15 shots where they need to be.
2: I, I was just going to say on my personal bows, what I do is I start out maybe five-eighths above square, but I go out in front of the target, and I'll keep coming down until I make my boat the shaft porpoise. I reference where that is. I come up enough just to clean that up, and that's as flat as I'm going to get that bow shooting.
0: Yeah, that's about exactly... What I do is, is uh I kind of bring her down until, you know, I've gone too far and then I bump it back up. And then I'm, I might fling a few bear shafts just to confirm it, my, my, my point on, which, you know, generally is a fairly quick ordeal unless something's wonky going on. And in, in your case, like with the bow I got from you guys, it, it actually was perfect three under, five eighths, knock high. And uh, I could group any broadhead, any bear shaft. Um, all at forty yards inside of a paper plate um, with with no issue. So it, it actually was more, I'd say, probably textbook, I guess, for five eighths or for three under. Now, um, there just so as we're talking about this, I have a video on the Kafaru Cast YouTube page, and then screwing around on YouTube the other day, you have a video JJ you did on tying on the nail knots for the adjustable knock points, which I strongly suggest everyone to watch. It makes your life way easier doing it that way uh i am not a fan of brass knock sets personally the nail knot that i use and and what same thing you guys use you can twist that up and down and makes tuning way simpler than it does manufacturing uh some kind of a knot or a brass knock every time you need to move it so i definitely would watch those videos now you're you can just look at bob lee bows on youtube and pull up a ton of videos you guys have can't you
1: selection of all kinds of tasty information out there on our website and on the YouTube channel.
0: Gotcha. Now, um, before we just try and keep this under an hour, so I want to hit on a few other things. The different bow models, if you guys can remember them because you offer a bunch. I'm I'm a hardcore fan myself, but what are the different bow models you guys offer? Kind of highlight them and and where they kind of fit in for somebody looking.
1: Well, I'll just say this. That for, for anybody listening out there, uh, the hardcore, which is the bow that Jake's shooting, is the bow I'm shooting, both Rob's shooting, uh, dollar for dollar, that's gonna be the best bow we offer right now because you've got a slab of black micarta running through the middle of that thing, which is where all your durability and performance and comfort and quietness and all that comes from. But it's also got the pretty wood on it, too. So it's got the performance, the cosmetics. It's not going to break the bank. Um, the dollar-for-dollar, dollar, just for y'all listening out there, that's going to be the best one. Um, in terms of the other models that we offer, um, like the solid micarta handle, um, which is basically the same as, as the hardcore, just without the pretty wood on it. It's got a little bit more micarta in it. Than the hardcore because you're replacing the wood with black micarta. Um, that bow is going to be for the super duper performance junkie. Um, but from what I found, most guys, considering they spend hours and hours in a tree or in a blind with their bow, I mean they want something pretty to look at. And the hardcore model, it, it gives you all that in one. Um, you know, the we build a solid wood handle bow, which is going to be. In my opinion, for the, for the more traditional guy who just absolutely wants a pretty wood handled bow, I mean, they're durable, they're quiet, they shoot great. Um, the micarta is going to perform a little better though, just because it's heavier and more dense. We offer a long handle, which is basically catered towards the 3D guys, uh, the presentation three. Uh, there's a few guys that hunt with that bow, but most of them that we sell are for 3D guys, just because it's such a long apparatus and kind of tough to maneuver from spot to spot. Rob, I don't know if you want to talk about any kind of different models we have.
2: Well, I think you pretty much, much nailed it on on my thoughts of of our different models. I mean, obviously we we offer, we've discussed the stable op, We build a super fine bolt up. We. Our bolt-up uh, models, uh, we have uh, two inserts, top and bottom, that are in the riser, so you have double limb bolt, um, which gives you uh, perfect alignment. Uh, I think it's a lot stronger setup than uh, some companies use uh, one insert in the handle, a bolt, and then they just have a pin with a hole in the back of the limb. I think ours is a stronger setup. And like I said, more
0: positive alignment. In that positive alignment, just so people understand, and, and, and as if I got kind of wrapped into this myself, um, you'll see different, uh, more target uh, aluminum riser bows or whatever, where you can um, align the limb, I guess. And, and one of the way I kind of looked at that, if the bowyer did his job from the beginning, you shouldn't have any issue <laughs> with the alignment of the limb out of the gate. So you Absolutely. shouldn't shouldn't need well,
2: to. What are rod? You're you're 100% right. And what I was talking about, like on our bolt-up models, having four inserts in the handle itself that the limb bolts go into when you assemble your bow, those inserts are sticking out of the handle enough that when you set your limb down, it aligns everything. And then you have a a bushing in the limb that accepts a tapered, they're called cap screws, but a limb bolt. So when you when you screw uh, assemble your bow, your limb is straight, and you're right. If it's not, uh, whoever tailored that bow didn't do a good job.
0: Well, and I I got into a little bit of a battle about this with a tournament guy, and I'm like, man, if I need to be screwing around with Allen sets, pivoting my limb, something was wrong from the gate, like. You know, I don't go put brand new tires on my car and and get them balanced uh, so I can go out there with an Allen screw and start doing it myself. Like that was the job of the guy putting my tires on to was to get them balanced so they're not rattling. It's the same thing with a with a limb. And so with what you guys are doing, definitely. It's almost impossible for alignment not to be and stay perfect um, with that system you have for your bolt on. Obviously, the stable lock is is the same or more so. Um, the the other thing too, like with your your bows, your and your your limb layup. I I say limb layup. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't build limbs for a living, but your special sauce for your limbs. I would have to say that that is probably the only thing I've ever seen as stable as your limb uh, was actually a fetal limb that was a carbon or a foam core carbon – I don't exactly know what it was, but I think it was a foam core carbon limb, and it was as stable as your limb. Um, But that's the only other one I've seen as far as this stable. Have you guys – let see, this is a biased question. You're the one making the bows, but have you guys kind of found that with your limb recipe, that it is just un- unnaturally stable compared to a lot of other boyers?
2: Well, yeah, that's we touched on that earlier when I told you that we could absolutely build a faster recurve. But by doing that, you're changing uh, the limb design, and you're not going to have a limb that is as stable side to side, so it's going to be more sensitive. It, it's all in in uh, the shape of our lamp.
0: And has that been something you guys have stayed with for a long period of time, or have you had to tweak anything over the last few years, or is it kind of a tried and true, and you stuck with it, you know, for the last many many years?
2: It's tried and true. I mean, it's uh, it's one of those deals. If it ain't broke, don't fix it.
0: I agree with that. Um. I, and and again, not tooting your your horn. There, they're just there's only been a couple bows that I've found with a limb as stable um, as yours at full draw. And by no means am I telling anybody to go to full draw and have your buddy twist the limb. Don't do that. I, I yeah, knew what I was... <laughs> yeah, don't. But I we knew what we were doing. We were screwing around with it. And when you're at full draw and you grab that limb and twist it a little bit, it is frightening on some of the bows how easy they twist. Now, to put that into perspective... You're on the ninth day of a mule deer or sheep hunt. You're in the cliffs. You've got one leg, you know, your left leg up high, your right leg down low and crooked, and you're crisscrossed on your body, and you're drawn back super screwed up. With a limb that's not as stable, it's going to cause it to perform from what I have found differently than it would on flat ground shooting in a perfect condition where a more stable limb is going to perform the same way no matter how you've really contorted your body. And and where that comes into play, you throw a big ass blade on the end of that arrow and your limb is performing differently. Your point of impact is going to be different when you are in a crazy situation. Tree stand is no different. I've had to shoot some crazy angles out of a tree stand. And the more you get, and people don't even realize it, That crazy angle, you shoot three under a split, but you're really torquing on that string, and you don't even notice it because your body's out of position. That stable limb, that's where that really comes into play from what I've seen from, from testing, and you guys definitely got a good recipe for that.
2: I think you nailed it i mean you ought to be able to shoot your bow in any position and i have i mean i've I've twisted around shot behind a tree out of a lock on and ground blinds uh you know it's just you have to do what you have to do to get that shot i mean you work hard for it and spend a lot of preparation and money uh you want you want something that's gonna do the job when you get there
0: definitely definitely well man we've kind of covered um I don't want to, you know, bore people with another tuning video or bore you guys and take you away from your job anymore, but I really wanted to highlight what you guys offer and kind of the long history of your company and, as well as the bows. Is there anything else you guys want to touch on?
1: Well, I think the, the main thing that I want to say is a lot of guys, I think, probably have a, a misconception of, of how we operate here, but this place consists, Bobley Archery consists basically of four people um it's me and rob uh we've got another general hand in the back that does a lot of sanding and gluing and whatnot um and we've got my mother which is rob's wife up front um but me and rob rob mainly rob lee is the guy building the bows um so if you if you order a bow from us you know who's making your bow Uh, it's not going to be some random hourly employee Uh, If you call here, you're going to get to talk to either me or Rob. I mean, we're just a, we're a very small operation that, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not going to turn out something that we wouldn't be proud to shoot ourselves. Uh, A lot of guys think we're this big, huge operation. It's going to be this big corporate model mess when they call, but that's not the case. So, in other words, don't be afraid to holler at us because we'd love to build you a bow. You nailed that
0: one. Yeah, I I will say you do not get what you find on a manufacturing line with, with Bob Lee. You don't get what we like to call the Friday night build where the guy wants to get off work and he's throwing shit together to get out the door, you, you, don't, get right. the, you don't get the Friday night build with you guys. Um, your attention to detail is, is pretty pretty amazing. And, 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 and above and beyond, you guys are just cool to talk to and, and BS with. Hopefully we'll be able to go on a hunt together at some point or fling some arrows at a 3D or something.
1: Well, we just, man, we've got stupidly high standards here. I mean, if, if a bow isn't as close to perfect as it can possibly be, um, it's not going out the door. And we've, you know, having the having the same guys build your bow that's been doing the same thing for years and years on end as opposed to some guy that walked in the door three weeks ago, um, that's a big deal, uh, especially if it were, you know, if I were going to spend the kind of money it costs to buy a custom bow, I would probably want to know exactly how that joker was built. And uh, you can bet your butt that we do it right here every time.
2: Aaron, I'll say this. I mean, as far as our customer base, uh, you probably do any checking you want to, but we do try to take care of people the way that we would want to be taken care of. Uh, somebody buys a bow from us, they're happy with it, they're going to tell their buddies, and that's how we sell bows. I mean, we, we do zero advertising. So it's word of mouth and uh, a quality product.
0: Yeah, I, well, I mean... Yeah, as you guys know, like I already brought up, Jake stole mine, and I liked you guys well enough without even hunting with your bow. I liked your bow well enough that I sold the shit out of them, and, uh, and only got to shoot the bow for a few weeks before before <laughs> it got hawked from me. So that, that goes a lot on my end that. Did I did I like you guys and trusted in that bow enough as well as what you guys do to to push them and, and sell them to people uh, just for the simple fact when I got it it was a work of art but it was a work of art that actually hit what you're aiming at and kind of the ongoing joke here is if you hear somebody say well it's a pretty bow well that means it doesn't shoot for shit but it looks good and yours was <laughs> yeah. one of the very few bows that was a pretty bow that actually hit what you were aiming at and uh, and that, and that goes a long way in today's kind of mentality of you know throw away you know make as much money as you can and don't worry about quality so i i I can't say enough about you guys and i appreciate you getting on here but i also appreciate you one uh making me another bow and uh, getting that out to me quick as as well as the uh, kind of dealing with my different quirks and everything i got going on on different hunts you guys have been great to deal with
1: hey man that's nothing out of the ordinary pretty much every guy we deal with is a bit quirky (laughs) <laughs> I,
0: I can I can only imagine Jake can't shut up about you guys. I think he's ready to marry you. Um man, he he loves Whoa. you guys, which is, yeah, I know, awkward, but man, he can't say enough about those those bows. And we hunted quite a bit together. And you know, you know how that goes, you're always stealing your buddy's bow. So I, I probably flung probably six hundred arrows through his bow in the course of six days, shooting it when we were on that turkey hunt together. Um he and I about the same draw and everything else, so it, it worked out well as far as that goes. So either way, I appreciate you guys and everything you do for the traditional archery community and the bows you build.
2: Well, thank you very much for all the compliments. Oh, yeah. We're going to be sending one your way here soon, I'll promise you.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm hopefully going to kick Jake's ass when I go up. He beat me at the last tournament, which was crazy uh, (laughs) because... It wasn't that he beat me at the close shots. He actually beat me at one long one. So now i got to go up and shoot with him on the 27th in Nebraska and uh, speak to some guys up there. And so, yeah, get that bow before that. I'll beat him with his own bow, and uh, then I can rub it in.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great, man. We're working on it, I promise you. I spent the weekend up here on it.
0: So well, I appreciate that, and I, like I said, appreciate everything you guys do, and definitely we'll have to hop on again uh, more towards the end of the season and circle back, kind of talk about the bow and everything else again. Sounds great, whatever you want. All right, you guys take it easy. Hey, thanks, Aaron. Take See care. You. Yep, bye-bye. Bye.